If you're an attorney, you might find yourself attending a lot of farewell parties for your coworkers this year. On today's episode, we talk about why a lot of lawyers, especially female and minority lawyers, say they'd like to find a new job and what this all has to do with working from home. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. So the analysis team here at Bloomberg Law does these periodic surveys of attorneys to take their temperature on what's going on in the industry. And in their most recent workload and hour survey of more than 1,100 lawyers, some notable trends started to appear. Significantly more female and minority attorneys said they're either looking for a new job or would be open to offers in 2024. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that, but one possible cause the survey pinpointed was where these lawyers are required to work. 92% of female attorneys who responded to the survey said they want at least some type of flexibility to not have to come into the office five days a week. For men, that number was just 74%. This has some big implications for the future of diversity in the legal profession, something the profession has struggled with for a very long time. And here to break down what all this means is Jessica Blameyer, the Bloomberg Law analyst who sorted through these survey results. She explained to me the connection between diversity and flexible work arrangements. But first, Jessica told me about where the legal industry is now in terms of so-called return to office or RTO policies. We're seeing a lot of not just law firms, but corporations and even government agencies requiring people to be in three to four days in the office. That's the most popular arrangement that we're seeing. And I think the reasoning behind that is a few things. First, it's good for career development. It's good for professional development otherwise and just connecting with your teammates. And also there's a lot of expensive real estate that's not being utilized. Yeah. And especially I have to imagine in the legal industry, law firms spend a lot of money on very um, shall we say, impressive uh, buildings that they ha- house their their workers in. So uh, not being able to use that to its full effect would be a pretty big, pretty big hit for those firms. Right. But that said, there's a downside to bringing people back in, requiring people to come back in maybe more than they want to, which is that attorneys are unhappy. Uh, and it sounds like that's the big takeaway from the survey results. Do I have that right? Yeah, the data indicate that there appears to be a disconnect between what is being required and what attorneys ideally would want to see. Uh, What is being required is three to four days in the office, and what the majority of our respondents indicate is that they'd like three to four days work from home. Yeah, but the really interesting uh, part of the data that you guys got was that you know, all attorneys seemed like they preferred to work from home more often. But this was especially the case when comparing men and women. Uh, Tell me more about that. What was the the gap that you guys saw between men and women attorneys? One of the the biggest gaps that I just want to point out is that 8% of female respondents said that they wanted to be in the office full time. um, But the male respondents, that jumped up to 26%. Um, So both male and female respondents wanted some sort of flexibility. The majority of them did. But being in the office full time, there was a pretty big gap there. So that means, you know, just doing some some math here in my head, 92% of female attorneys said they do not want to be in the office full time. Of our survey respondents, that is correct. Let's talk about why that is. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, anyone who's listening to this would think, you know, oh, that's because whether this is should be the case or not, women often shoulder more of the burden of home responsibilities than men do and that women need more flexibility as a result. Is that what it is? Is it sort of this 
this gendered separation of labor at home that's driving women's desire to have a more flexible schedule? Or are there is there something else going on here? I think that's a big part of it. I think even even if a, a female attorney doesn't have children, there's often still the expectation that they're taking care of things at home, whether it be other family that you're caregiving for or just, just general household responsibilities. And we were able to pull the data and look at it for people that had caregiving responsibilities, whether that be children with uh, minor children in the home or people who are caregiving other people in the family. And when we looked at that, only 4% of those female respondents wanted to be in the office. So I think that is a large piece of what is going on here. I do have to wonder, though, if there are other factors. I think you mentioned in your story that one of the downsides of being in the office is that when you're in the office, you're working with people who don't necessarily look like you. And so that might be a hindrance rather than a help. Uh, can you get into that a little bit, that this changes the, the social dynamics at, at the office and, and, you know, how you interact with your coworkers? Sure. So I think that is is true of the female versus male respondents that we're seeing, but it's particularly true of those respondents that identify as being in a um, minority ethnic or racial group. A lot of those respondents we're seeing on in our survey data over the last few years, still don't, still are on legal teams with people that don't look like them. And if one of the benefits of coming back into the office is connecting with your teammates, and if you're on a team of people that you don't feel as connected to, being back in the office not only may not be as beneficial, it could actually be hurtful. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially yeah. with uh, those attorneys in certain minority groups, they may be facing even if it's not intentional aggressions, microaggressions within the office that if they are working remotely or have the option to take, have some space sometimes, it might actually improve the working environment. Well, you brought up uh, you know, attorneys from minority groups, so let's really get into that. There was another data point in your story uh, involving this that really caught my eye, and it said that you know attorneys from minority groups are much more likely to say that they are looking for jobs or are open to a job offer in 2024 than white attorneys. That's pretty significant. Can we let's unpack that? So I don't think that connects directly to the return to office policies, at least not yet. We don't have the data yeah. yet. And so that is something we're going to continue to track as the time goes on the next year or two. But what we do see in the data are the reasons that people are giving for why they want to leave right now. And two of the top three reasons, the third being money, but the other two is stress and work-life balance. And changes in the return to office policies are going to affect both of those. I, I, I just see them affecting both of those. So this all has really big implications for one of the goals of the legal industry or one of the goals that the legal industry says it has, which is to diversify both in gender and racial and ethnic uh, categories. It sounds like with less flexible work arrangements and also with, you know, work-life balance situations that are not getting better, maybe getting worse, that this really has the potential to cause some backsliding in the legal industry when it comes to diversity. Would you agree with that? I think it has the potential to affect it negatively, and we are going to continue to be monitoring it. Um, I think that organizations just need to be mindful when they're creating their policies that this might hurt diversity efforts, especially in the face of other hits that organizations are taking to diversity efforts in the last year or two. Like, uh, like what? What are some of the other hits? 
primarily the Supreme Court decision uh, related to affirmative action, which is having organizations take a look at their diversity policies and their inclusion policies and make sure that everything is in alliance with what the law currently is. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it seems like with that and then also with work arrangements becoming less flexible, these are two headwinds that are going directly at law firms' diversity goals. Uh, That really doesn't, you know, bode well or it, it doesn't inspire optimism for law firms, you know, getting more diverse after years and years of being, you know, pretty far behind a lot of other industries on that metric. I think that it's something, as I I said, that firms and organizations should be mindful of, but there's some good news that's happening, too. Uh, One of the things is I am a member of the Data Lab team at uh, Bloomberg Law, and we run a a DEI framework each year where law firms can submit their data and get weighed against um, basically the average for what law firms are doing in terms of diversity inclusion efforts. And we've had more and more people, more and more firms participate and more and more uh, rank higher um, than they have in past years. So there's some good news. (laughs) That's interesting. Uh, finally, though, I want to end on a cynical note. <laughs> um, you know, I wonder if some of the firms that are doing this, that are sort of pulling back on their flexible work policies, are thinking, well, everyone in the industry is doing this. So if someone is unhappy with this, where are they going to go? You know, if they want a more flexible work arrangement, that's they're going to have trouble finding another firm that will have that. Do you think that's the mindset of some of these firms that they're they're, they feel more empowered to change these policies and, and you know reel them in because their competitors are, are doing it as well? I think that is the, possibly uh, the mindset. But also when firms are announcing these policies right now, it's still making the news. And so there are a lot of organizations that aren't doing it or aren't doing it yet or doing it more quietly. And I do think that if we see an increase in people wanting to leave or leaving their current positions, it's going to be for those that are still allowing more flexibility. So there, there are a couple of sort of outliers that still have you know really flexible policies, and you think that they'll you know, that there could be a lot of poaching uh, in that direction. I think it's possible because even though the majority of our respondents say that they are being required to come in three to four days a week, there then is is a portion of our respondents who aren't being required to do that or do have full flexibility. That's really interesting. All right. Well, that was Bloomberg Law's uh, Jessica Blameyer talking with us about 2024 and where attorneys are headed. Uh, will they be headed to the office or will they be headed to a new firm? Uh, thank you, Jessica, for talking with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor today was John Martin, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Storr. And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.